gates open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. The Australian Turf Club and Racing New South Wales proudly present the Championships 2022 commencing at Royal Randwick on Saturday, April 2nd. This elite program will be highlighted by four Group 1s, three of which had their beginnings in the mid-19th century. The jewel in the crown is the star Doncaster, boasting prize money of $3 million. Co-features will be the $2 million Bentley Australian Derby, the $2.5 million TJ Smith and the time-honoured English size produce stakes for the two-year-olds who were just warming up at the end of the Golden Slipper. Throw in the New Haven Park Country Championship final, the chairman's quality, the Witten Stakes, the Adrian Knox and the Carbide Club and you can see it is a magnificent race day. Saturday, April 2nd, Doncaster and Derby Day at Royal Randwick. At 77 years of age, John Muir is old enough to remember the days when Sydney bread deliveries were made by horse and cart. He knew the timetable backwards and on delivery days, he'd be waiting out on the street for the sole purpose of giving the baker's horse a pat. A few years later, he was delighted to learn that his uncle Tom was keeping a couple of ponies on his property at Warunga. Young John was a regular visitor and this is where he taught himself to ride, sparking a very early desire to become a jockey. That ambition quickly evaporated, but his passion for horses and the racing game continued to grow. As the son of pioneer Holden dealer Les Muir, John predictably established a career in the motor trade, a stunning career that lasted until 2018 when the landmark Muir's Motors Complex at Ashfield was sold to the New South Wales government to make way for stage three of the massive WestConnex development. Now in his 49th year as a commercial breeder, John runs Milburn Creek, a boutique operation at Wiles Meadow near Barrel on the New South Wales Southern Highlands. His foals are born and raised on the property and later prepared for the yearling sales by a very professional team. John Muir's love of horses is exceeded only by his respect for people. In the thoroughbred industry, he does business as he did for six decades in the car game. He operates under a slogan created by his father many years ago. Reputations don't just happen, they have to be earned. I know few people who have a sounder reputation than John Muir, and I'm delighted to welcome him to the podcast. Good morning, John. How are you? Very good, thanks, mate. We're going to reminisce a little bit here. We'll talk about uh, horses and your early love of them and the early affinity that you developed. You know, when you learned that the West Connects Tunnel was going to be drilled just three metres below your car dealership, you knew the end was near. Unfortunately, we did, John. Um, 
one of the hardest things was selling the dealership was the people that had given us their dedicated time, love and affection for many, many years. Some of those people worked for us for over 50 years. Um, it wasn't unusual to have people there 10, 15 or more years mm. working for us. Your father, Les, passed away in 2009, long before the West Connects project saw the light of day. He founded Muir's Motors on that very site in 1946 with his brothers Ron and Tom. He would have been deeply disturbed to see it go. Uh, he would have been, but he saw it coming, John. Um, did he? Mm. He, di he did buy another large site uh, further down the road from us. Um, maybe we could have turned that into a, a dealership, but um, uh, there were some very good tenants there, uh, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Hungry mm. Jacks, mm. and uh, now Total Tools. But uh, that would have been a perfect site, but... Uh, it was the problem was uh, getting uh, permission to have a workshop uh, in that area, and it, well, with uh, government requirements, was very difficult to, to obtain one. So, unfortunately, the only alternative was to sell the the business, sell the property. Muir's Motors on Parramatta Road at Ashfield was Sydney's second Holden dealership. I wonder if your dad back then ever predicted that Holden would take off the way it did. He was in the right place at the right time, wasn't he? He certainly was, John. Holden those days had 52% of the market, so, oh. you know, uh, it wasn't till later till a, a Ford Falcon came along and a Valiant came along, uh, you know, that really gave them some competition. You spent your early years in a house situated adjacent to the dealership. Your backyard was really a car yard. That's right, it certainly was. Um, uh, spent most of our life there and later on my father was uh, bought away a lovely home at uh, Six Woods Avenue, Burwood, mm. nearly on a half, half an acre and we moved up there, I think it was about 1956. Mm. Oh yes, I went to that place several times, John. It was a stately old home, wasn't it? Very old Californian bungalow, they described it as, mm. but a uh, very nice home, beautiful gardens, and uh, of course it wasn't too far from uh, uh, down the down to Haverfield, Asheville, to the dealership from father. Mm. Not and the also we had uh, sorry interrupting. Mm. Also we had uh, Muir's Motors right at the time. Also, oh, yes, I remember. Yeah, now John, your dad really wasn't at home. Uh, as much as he could have been to enjoy that lovely old place because he was a worker. He was a seven-day-a-week man all of his life. He couldn't get there fast enough in the mornings. No, he certainly couldn't. He really enjoyed work and he uh, most importantly enjoyed the people he worked with and uh, he built up a wonderful rapport for a lot of great clients over many, many years. Mm. You had a mate called Mick Quinlan, who was a son of a Randwick horse trainer, Les Quinlan. And Mick arranged for you to go out to his dad's stables and have a ride on the stable pony. You'd given yourself some uh, self-instruction uh, at your uncle's property at Warunga, but you were keen to try out another mount. That's correct. <laughs> he gave me the stable pony. He said, look, go out and give it a trot and a canter. 
I think it was down South Dowling Street at the time. There's the freeways there now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I took off and I thought I was doing a pretty good job. I came back and he said, geez, who taught you to ride? I said, well, <laughs> no one really didn't taught me to ride. I, I used to go to the Saturday afternoon westerns and, uh, you know, rode like those cowboys did. Well, I had my <laughs> elbows up in the air flapping like a duck yeah. and I thought that's the way you were supposed to ride till, yeah. <laughs> till he taught me the right way to ride. So Randolph Scott had a lot to answer for. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> John, with thoughts of a career in racing very much in your mind, you were able to organise some work experience again at Randwick with a legendary trainer called Morris McCartan. Now, this was a defining moment in your life. That's right. I was going to New England College and this came the school holidays. It was winter time, and my uncle arranged me to... Um, spend a week with Morris McCartan. Anyway, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Neville Begg, who was the former at the time. Mm. Anyway, the three o'clock starts in the middle of winter. <laughs> uh, soon I thought to myself, geez, do I really want this? <laughs> so I'm sorry, it didn't stick it out too long. How long? <laughs> I reckon I lasted about a week and I sacked myself. <laughs> Well, when it was time for you to start planning your real job, uh, you inevitably joined the company. Now, you probably thought you were going to kick off as managing director, but your very wise dad made you earn your stripes. Now, what were some of the lousy jobs he gave you in those early days? Well, we had a service, an Ampol service station on Paramount Road called uh, Muir's Modernistic and there was a man there, Stan Forrest, ex-policeman, mm. who ran the place. Anyway, I had to clean the toilets and I did all those sorts of things, uh, pull gearboxes, motors out of cars, had oil coming all over my head, my face, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed doing that and I learned a lot yeah. from trouble pointing uh, things that could have been wrong, wrong with cars, which put me in good stead in years later. Yeah. But when the trade-in was coming, I could uh, take the car around the block and check it out and uh, listen to the right or the wrong noises. Exactly. You developed a keen ear for the sound of a motor and it persists to this day, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> you were 18 years old, John, when your dad helped you to set up your own little dealership just up the road on the corner of Parramatta Road and Taylor Street at Five Dock. Now, you called the business John Muir's Quality Corner and for a long time you dealt in American cars, top-class American cars. What make were they back then? I mainly stuck to General Motors, which were Buick, Cadillac, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, um, and I did very well out of those. I... Uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I was extremely fussy of the quality of the vehicle I kept, mm. and I uh, ob obtained a reputation uh, for that. Uh, mm. uh, I could only fit, I reckon, uh, 15 cars on the site. Yeah. I had them beautifully presented. I had a sign writer that worked for us full time that would write all the particulars of the cars, whether they had power steering, air conditioning and whatever. Mm. the price so people could come of a night time and have a look at the cars without a salesman worrying them yeah. and um, 
for a site that's, uh, that could only take 18 cars, I think I sold about 36 cars a month, which was pretty good. Oh, amazing. Oh, you got away to a flying start. You made several trips to the USA too, didn't you, to buy vehicles that you thought would appeal to the Sydney car buffs. I did. I went over there and bought new uh, Buicks and Cadillacs and uh, uh, then uh, put them on these drive-and-drive-off ships um, they arrived down at uh, Darling Harbour and we drove them off. Um, the slowest thing, of course, was getting con- getting converted to left and right-hand drive. How did you do we that? Had, uh, I had a f- few good people that uh, did them for us, um, but uh, it was a fair time lag from when you I'd actually bought the car to get them physically on the lot and sold. There could be a period of about six months. Mm. Finally, you wandered out to Newmarket to an English broodmare sale and you bought your very first broodmare. Her name was Nullet. What did you pay for her? Uh, John, uh, I didn't know much about horses at the time. We'd, we'd acquired a appropriate cow called Milburn Creek. Mm. I think I might have paid $1,500 at the time. She was a good sort of mare. She was by a horse called Nullet Court. Mm. Um, I just can't remember the mother's name, but uh, um, uh, I wish I'd been advised by the right bloodstock agent in the beginning and it would have put me in the right direction initially. Yeah. Still, she was your first, so there's a little bit of sentiment attached to that. Now, John, I love the story about your second broodmare purchase. You watched the late Jim Fleming one day uh, organise a package deal with Inglis at a broodmare sale. He bought a mare who was in foal with a foal at foot, but Jim only wanted the foal. And he actually asked the auctioneer to re-offer the mare. You don't see that very often. No, you don't. Jim was very shrewd too. Um, the, the mare in question was a mare called Safest, who was mm-hmm. by Corindy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd already produced a very good filly nook mm-hmm. that held the uh, 1,200 metre course record at Rose Hill for many years. Mm-hmm. And the filly on the mare, I think, was by Lowell Road, who would have been a full sisters of nook. Mm-hmm. So Jim wanted the, the filly and re-offered the mare. Mm-hmm. The mare was carrying a foal to Dignitas. Mm-hmm. Uh, who stood at Ferd Calvin's uh, stud, uh, Dawson stud. Mm-hmm. And I finished up buying the safest carrying uh, that that foal inside of her. Right, and it turned out to be a filly who a had filly? some ability. Yeah, we called her Melbourne Princess. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I sent her back to Dignitas mm-hmm. and um, I, she produced a cult. Mm. Um, I didn't sell the cult. Um, I gave the horse to Jeff Chapman yeah. and he found a buyer for it. Yeah. I, I, I'd named it, called it Motorman. Of course. And uh, yeah. Jeff Chapman uh, put a city together, or buyers, whatever it was at the time, mm. and uh, he sold it uh, to those people. He trained it, uh, Motorman, and... Um, I'm just looking at a photograph here of Motorman winning the Holiday Handicap in December 1979, mm. ridden by R. Quinton. Yeah. And John so he was my first Ramwick winner, I oh, Very special. 
Very special. For those people who like to hear stories about ex-racehorses being looked after long-term, you've got a great story about Motorman, and I can vouch for the story because I saw him on a family property at Warren, your merino stud, Raby. Uh, you put him out there to spend the rest of his life up to his knees in grass. I certainly did. I, uh, Trish was reading, Trish, my wife, was reading uh, the Telegraph one day and she said, look, uh, there's a horse here for sale, Motorman. Oh. Mm. So I, I rang the, the person up that owned the horse or person I rang was probably head of the, the syndicate. Anyway, I finished up buying the horse and uh, just purely for payback, sentimental yeah. circumstances, whatever you want to call it, mm. and uh, sent it down to our Merino stud property out at Warren. Mm. And you would have seen him that day grazing on a beautiful paddock of lucent. So mm. I believed he deserved a home. He put me in my little way on the map, I suppose. And mm. uh, anyway, he lived there till he was about 20 years of age. Mm. You're an old softy. <laughs> <laughs> now, John, in 1973, you found yourself with a little herd of brood mares and your dad decided it was time to put all your eggs in one basket. You've already mentioned the purchase of a property near Cowra, Milburn Creek. Hey, that's some creek, you know, Milburn Creek. It flows for 27 kilometres before it empties into the Lachlan River. Oh, that's correct, John. It's it more than a trickle. Milburn, yeah, yeah. It used to be the Milburn Creek gold fields many years ago, 100 mm. odd years ago. Mm. You were there for I, a long time. Yeah, was, and lucky enough to uh, meet the Kelly family, uh, being uh, Cowra, close to Burrawa, and uh, mm. we've had a great rapport with the Kellys all of our lives. Mm. Well, in 1986, you were tired of the long drive to Cowra, and you decided to buy a run-down old dairy farm at Grossvale near Richmond, and over the next few years, you transformed it into a lovely broodmare farm right on the river there. It was a great spot. Beautiful spot, John. Um, fortunately, it was we had river frontage that was above flood level. Um, uh, it must say it was a dirty old dairy. I was picking mm. up baling twine in the paddock, I reckon, for about, in the paddocks for about 10 years after I bought it. But, yeah. uh, yes. Mm. You bought a, a very nice sovereign red filly, John, in the mid-1980s with a long-term plan to breed with her. But in the interim, you decided to race her with your wife, Trish. Now, you gave her the exotic name of Shay Paris and she won seven races, every one of them on city tracks. And one of them was a stakes race, which is nowadays a group one. That's right. Shay Paris won the Queen of the Turf. Mm. And uh, Noel Barker, the late Noel Barker, wrote it. Mm. Uh, I know uh, Mick Ditton was the stable jockey for Tommy Smith, but uh, funny enough, this horse would would run better with Noel Barker mm. on than, uh, than, than Mick. Mm. But she certainly did gave us a big thrill. She produced a few winners, John, but nothing with her own ability. No, she didn't. 
but her daughter's now uh, producing good winners. There was a group one the other day out of the family a couple of generations back from her. Um, so they do re-ignite, <laughs> I guess, some of these families again. Yeah, it's often the generation after, isn't it? Yep. In 2000, you purchased Old Fernbrook Farm at Wiles Meadow on the Southern Highlands where you established the new Milburn Creek operation. Now, since then, you've been able to acquire two other farms, Rosemont and Cardross, adjoining farms, now giving you a total of 250 acres, and you've set the place up perfectly, John. Yeah, look, uh, it took a lot of time, John. Um, look, my fault is probably in the cost of me money. I like things spick and span, so mm. <laughs> it is spick and span, and... Uh, um, yeah, it is a wonderful part of the world. Uh, horses are extremely happy down here. Uh, with the high rainfall we have, we don't have to irrigate. Uh, we have trees that round down here that, that take six men to put their hands together to uh, mm. um, to uh, just check to, to emphasise how how large the trees are. And I was taught many years ago from good judges, mm. good trees indicate good country. Mm. That makes sense. Now, just acknowledging a few nice horses you've bred over the years. Tell you one I liked early on, Mighty Grey. What a nice horse he was. He won 10 races all up, including a stakes race. Yeah, he won the Gosford Guineas. Mm. Trained by Noel Dawson, ridden by G. Duffy. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting back a bit. Yeah, we sure are. But he was super consistent, wasn't he? Mighty great. Yeah, very good horse. Yep, my word. Ocean Ranch was another one, John. He won a Group 3 in Adelaide. That's right. Trained by the uh, the Moronis. Um, they bought him at uh, the English as a, uh, a yearling sale. And I don't think it cost a lot, maybe about $35,000, but $35,000 in those days is probably like 130000 a day. Absolutely, but, yeah. But uh, he was another good horse. Prince Standarn by Attalak. He competed at a high level for most of his career and he won some very good races. He won a Mooney Valley Cup, didn't he? That's right, ridden by Greg Hall. Yeah. <laughs> I think he ran second in the South Australian Derby and I think the horse that won the Derby was at Harry Lawson syndication who won it. <laughs> mm. And Harry Lawton, of course, the late Harry Lawton, became a great friend and a great contact for you in later years. Yeah, thank you. We produced uh, to me by you mm. <laughs> many years ago. And, John, what about a Vulcan who was by mighty avalanche? He never stopped winning. He too won a stakes race. That's right, the Starlight Stakes at Rose Hill. Jeez, mm. we're reminiscing with these old horses, John, aren't we? Oh, getting back. <laughs> It's nice to breed a Derby winner anywhere, anytime. And you bred and sold Redoute's Dancer, who didn't race a lot. He only had nine starts for four wins. And his trainer, Tim Martin, surprised many people when he took him to New Zealand in 2007 to win a Group 2 race at Ellerslie. And then a week later, he won the Mercedes Derby on the same track. That was great for Milburn Creek. It was, thank you very much. It was a great day. 
uh, Vinnie Coglin, uh, I believe, rode the horse. Mm-hmm. And uh, after he when he won the Derby, there was quite a length of about ten minutes before he was given the winner. Mm-hmm. Um, um, some controversy over uh, the horse, mm-hmm. uh, but he won it fair and square uh, with with a big margin, and. Um, he went off to uh, stud duties, I think, in Western Australia. Did he leave anything? Uh, not that I'm aware of, John. I don't think the, I don't think the horse got very got very little opportunity. But uh, mm. uh, what happened to him after that, I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm. There was another Reduce Choice cult. You decided to race with friends, and that was Hampton Court, who won the Dulcify Quality in the spring of 2014 uh, with a bloke on board who could ride a little bit, Joey Marrera. And then a yep. week later, he won the spring champion stakes very easily with young Josh Parr in the saddle. That's right, John. It was, uh, of all the horses I bred, that would be a horse with the greatest pressure on me mm. because uh, Alan Jones, a friend, came around one Sunday afternoon prior to the Easter sales then at Ramwick mm. and said, look, can uh, you appreciate it? Alan Reduce Choice is, a, is involved with Arrowfield Stud. Mm. He said, look, why don't we buy this horse and put a syndicate together? So I said to Alan, leave it to you. So yeah. he encouraged uh, uh, Paul Ramsey, who's passed away, Ramsey Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, James Packer came into it. Uh, some great friends of mine, Peter and Kate Mason, uh, Alan and uh, myself and some other friends down here called um, the Shadbolt family. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, when nice people come, come into a horse with you, you dearly hope it's going to perform mm. and uh, that would probably be my most satisfying win that day mm. at Bramwick with him winning the spring championship stakes. Mm. He so, still holds the 2,000-metre uh, record at Bramwick. Mm. As a matter of fact, the great, the great Winx uh, couldn't break his record when she won her races there. Mm. So you breathed a sigh of relief when he strolled home in the spring champion stakes. <laughs> Certainly did. <laughs> John, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. 
My special guest is respected thoroughbred breeder John Muir. You had an unbridled song mare called Wild Song a few years back, which you raced with a few friends. She won three races, and then you sent her to a horse called Johannesburg. She had a nice filly. You thought the filly would bring more than the 50000 she made on the Gold Coast. And who should come along and put his hand up? John Singleton. That's absolutely correct. Um... John is uh, he's very lucky. He's uncanny. He's a good judge, and uh, I was very pleased that uh, he finished up with a mm. uh, Gay Waterhouse trained trained the once for wild, and um, uh, she won the AJC Oaks. Uh, typical Waterhouse trained horse got in front, and they couldn't run run her down. Mm. But, uh, that was that was that was a good win. Oh, she was a nice filly. Once were wild. She had 28 starts all up, seven wins, four placings and $567,000. And she won the Oaks in a breeze. Big margin. Nashra Willow was the jockey. That's right. And and since she's gone to stud for uh, John Sigelin and she's produced a couple of stakes with us also. Mm, good stuff. And it all started at Milburn Creek. <laughs> Now, John Sizzling was another Group 1 winner for the farm by way of his win in the JJ Atkins in Brisbane, and he also won three Group 2s. He did a terrific job. Now, his dam is a mare called Admiral, who's been a really good mare to you. Her breeding days are over now. Yes, unfortunately they are. She's now nailing it out in the paddock where she's uh, uh, there looking after young wheeling fillies that uh, and just keep them, uh, teaches them to relax and uh, keeps, keeps them towing the line, so to speak. Yeah, they call them a chaperone, don't they? That's right. But that's correct. But uh, getting back to Sizzling, Sizzling was Snitzel's first Group 1 winner. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Been a few since. Yep, sure has. <laughs> now, one of my favourite stories of recent times you wandered out to a weanling sale a few years ago with the intention of buying a filly you could resell the following year, a pinhooker, in other words. That's now, you correct. spotted a chestnut filly by Dubawi, who's a lot better known now, John, than he was then. What did you pay for that chestnut weanling filly? Uh, John, um, I paid $28,000 for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Freer, on his recommendation, he uh, he uh, he liked the filly, and uh, told me that uh, a friend of his, John Warren in England, uh, this stallion Jubawi uh, is could be something special. So anyway, we subsequently bought the filly for twenty eight thousand, um, prepared her for sale, re-offered it again. Um, it, the classic sale at Inglis, and I guess the 28th, the time you uh, keep on rearing it, preparing it, insuring it, and all the other things would have turned into 40,000. So I yeah. went into the ring, and anyway, I got a few bids, but I would have taken $40,000 and probably walked away, lip and worms, mm. uh, being a, a seller, but uh, that wasn't the case. And uh, a few days later, Graham Begg approached me and he said, look, I really love that filly. Would you give her 
to me to train. Mm. Uh, so I did, and I guess the rest is history. Oh, it certainly <laughs> turned is. Turned out to be turned out to be so, so, so secret admirer. Oh dear me, whose record was twenty eight starts, three wins, only three amazingly, five seconds, ten thirds, one point four million dollars. She won a maiden at Canterbury, and three weeks later, she won the Group 1 flight stakes with that booming finish that became her trademark later. A very young Brenton Avdullah rode her that day. Certainly did. It was certainly exciting. Uh, I wasn't there for that win. I'd promised my daughter and son-in-law and uh, their two kids that uh, we'd go out to Warren, the property out of Warren, so we'll anxiously cheering, uh, watching on the sky mm. um, that particular day. A friend of mine, John Freer, who, who was involved with me buying the, the filly, mm. uh, he did the honours with the presentation. Mm. She didn't race again for 10 months, John, after the flight stakes. Was it simply a case of Graham giving her heaps of time? She was a big filly. Uh, I believe so. Well, you know, there's no person kind of, uh, to Phillies uh, historically than the, the big family, Nettle and, and Graham. They, mm. they certainly know how to get the best out of uh, Phillies. Mm. You can remember emancipation. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Now, then came probably the most pulsating, heart-stopping, thrilling day of your racing career, the 2011 Epsom. She had three runs leading into it and they were three good runs, weren't they, without winning? That certainly were. She put the icing on the cake, as to say. Now, she came from near last in the Epsom, very similar to the flight stakes, with a massive finishing run. She liked plenty of room too, didn't she? She she came down the middle of the track in both the Epsom and the flight stakes. Yeah, she certainly did, John. She seemed to like the spring racing in spring. You know, mm. the flight was in the spring. Spring, mm. the Epson was in the spring for some reason. Good point. Uh, yeah. and and she d- did like the sting out of the ground a bit. She did like a heavy track, but she just liked that sting out of the ground. Mm. But she certainly had a turn of foot. Amazingly, she never won again after the Epsom. But and you may have forgotten, she was placed in eight other Group Ones, hence the yes. big prize money tally. Yeah, well, she's. Well, not making excuses for her. She was a bit stiff in some of the others too, you know. Of course, yeah. She's a star boarder at Wiles Meadow and happily she's already the dam of a Group 3 winner. Now, she is the dam of one of nine quality yearlings you've got in the upcoming Inglis Easter sale. She has a cult by the great Dundeal and you were telling me you think he's the best type she's thrown so far. Um, well, Scott Holcomb, he's a hard marker, my stud manager, and uh, he he he's very enthusiastic about the Celt, and uh, he says to me, John, this is the best, this is the best yearling this mare's produced, mm. and uh, he's got a beautiful attitude about him. I think he's one of those horses on the track that wouldn't lay down. He'll give, I think he'll give you the, mm. his best every time he goes round. Can't ask for any more than that. Now, speaking no. of Dundeal, you're also offering a filly 
out of piping hot and she happens to be a half-sister to Coolangatta. She certainly is. She's owned by the Warren family, High Clare Stud in England. Um, we um, fold uh, uh, cool and gather down here, as we have with this filly we're offering. Mm. Uh, and um, we'll f- she's off to the sales in, at, at, uh, in a few weeks. But she is a very, very nice filly. I think people are going to like it a like her a real lot. You're selling a cult by the autumn sun out of an American mare called Bishop's Pond, a mare you actually bought at Keeneland in Kentucky. Now, there's sure to be a lot of interest in the autumn sun's first crop. Well, the autumn sun, John, is an exceptional racehorse himself with a magnificent pedigree. Um, I, and they have been extremely popular at the sales so far, and uh, there's no reason why this colt wouldn't be very popular. He's out of a Bishop's Pond who uh, stakes winning Curlin Mare. Curlin mm-hmm. is one of the best sires in North America. Uh, he's a very nice horse, and there's a lot to recommend him. I see you're offering a Lonro cult out of a mare called Fascination Street. Hey, John, when Lonro gets a good sort, he gets a good sort, doesn't he? He certainly does. Well, this colt is very dark brown or nearly black like him. Mm. Um, he's a very, very, very nice colt. Beautiful Gaskins on him. Um, I know Scott Holcomb, my stud manager, is very enthusiastic about him. And um, I think he'll sell very well. You've got an American pharaoh out of a mare called Mumtazar. What do you think of it? Well, he is a very nice horse. We're preparing this horse from a very good stud in Victoria Musk Creek, and um, uh, he is a cracking type. If he's one of the nicest American pharaohs I've probably seen. Mm. Also in your draft is a fast-necked rock cult out of a mare called Shadow Watch, and she is a daughter of So You Think. Interesting to note that the slipper winner Fireburn is out of a So You Think mare. Yes, that's very interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, I think that was uh, as a broodmare size, uh, So You Think's first group one uh, produce winner there. Mm. Um, He's a very nice cult. Uh, very athletic, got a beautiful head on him, uh, got a lovely family to back him up, and uh, he's a tip-top horse. You've got a couple of zoo star cults on your draft, John. One of them is out of sexy eyes, and the other is out of a mere called Sweet Sister. Mm. Yeah, well, out the, the, we're referring to like 415 as this um Sexy eyes. He's a very, very nice cult. Mm. Uh, um, I would think people will will really like this horse. He's correct, strong, comes out from a wonderful race mare with a good family behind her. Um, No reason that uh, he won't be very popular. And a written tycoon filly out of Wedgie. Written tycoons just seem to run. They certainly do, like Kulangatta and many other horses. He's a mm. he's a 
exceptional side that started from very humble beginnings that uh, uh, has really uh, hit Titty's straps in the last few years and his progeny all of them seem to want to run and run well. You've had a long association with the English company as a buyer in the early days and now a major seller. And I know you really enjoy being a part of this fabulous, historic Easter sale. Well, I certainly do, John. Uh, William Inglis, it'll be congratulation to be congratulated for putting together uh, a mouth-watering catalogue. Mm. Uh, I think it's an exceptional catalogue. It's absolutely world-class. Uh, I get catalogues from all the world, over the world, from Tattersalls or Kentucky, and I think this this current Easter catalogue is uh, is second to none. And and uh, I'd also like to thank uh, my fellow breeders um, to be able to get a horse in the Easter sales of feather in anyone's cap. And uh, I wish my fellow breeders good luck and. Uh, I hope all their dreams come true. Mm. I know you give a lot of the credit for the success of your operation to your stud manager, Scott Holcomb, who came to you uh, with very sound experience and a wonderful background in the horse breeding world. Uh, Well, that is absolutely right, uh, John. Um, uh, Scott has taken Melbourne Creek to the next level. He would be the most dedicated professional and a hard-working person I've ever had the privilege of employing. Um, he is absolutely exceptional. Married to a lovely wife, Debbie, who is a registered vet nurse in her own right, and they have two children, Bronte and Abby, which they have ponies down here and they love really the whole family enjoy the horses. No interview with you would be complete without a special tribute to your wonderful wife, Trish. 54 years you two have been married and she's given you the necessary support uh, to pursue your lifelong dream. I know for a fact, because she told me once, you are thoroughly spoiled. I have been thoroughly spoiled all my life. But <laughs> I, I, I... What I appreciate the life that I've lived... I've been associated with nice people, uh, including yourself. Um, and um, I've got a lovely – my wife has is, uh, uh, given her life to me and I've tried to give my life to her. But uh, she enjoys the horses as much as I do. She loves gardening. Um, she's a workaholic. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, it's not, not easy <laughs> – uh, 54 years, there's ups and downs and, you know, mm. little arguments here and there, but uh, we've stuck together. You and Trish are the proud parents of daughters Meredith and Amelia and son Matthew, who between them have added seven grandchildren to the family. There's got to be a horse breeder somewhere in that mix. You'd think so, but I've, um, I'd like to think so, but I might have my doubts, but uh, maybe one of the uh, grandkids might show some interest and uh, that'd be good if it does happen. Everything you've done in life, John, has been carried out with thoroughness 
with professionalism, integrity and very, very good manners. I know few people who use the simple expression, thank you, more often than you do. And may I say thank you for being a guest on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Well, thank you, John. It's a great pleasure to be involved with Inglis and yourself. Thank you very much. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.